This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, here it is, March the 17th, St. Patrick's Day. Time to wish you top of the morning has long since passed, so instead, let me entertain you with a program that featured the lead character who had the most gorgeous Irish tenor voice. Yes, I'm referring to that perpetual teenager, Dennis Day. In doing a little research for this program, I read some reviews of the radio show, A Day in the Life of Dennis Day, and you know, I think they pretty well sum up what I've said about him. Here's what one listener wrote, quote, Dennis Day was chosen as the 1950 Entertainer of the Year. He was very likable on the day of the life of Dennis Day, heard at least in the summer of 1949 on Saturday nights, and then the next day, Sundays, during the regular seasons on the Jack Benny Show. He had a wonderful singing voice, which was put to good use on both of these programs. Again, audiences during the 40s and early 50s were very appreciative of Dennis Day's work, unquote. Well, you can tag those comments with me too, unquote. So let's get to it. A Day in the Life of Dennis Day and the episode from 1947, Advice Column. Oh, and happy St. Patrick's Day. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Day. Oh, that makes life seem worthwhile. Wealth in your eyes. And the spell of your smile. Dennis Day is brought to you by Palm Olive Soap and Colgate Dental Cream. Palm Olive Soap, your beauty hope, and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. The Dennis Day Show with Barbara Eiler, B. Benadera, Dink Trout, George Dooning in the orchestra, and yours truly, Vern Smith, is written by Frank Galen and stars our popular young singer in A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. Here's Dennis to sing, You Were Only Fooling. You were only fooling, but I was falling in love. It's a story as old as Adam and Eve. I was making love, but you were making Stop dreaming of 
There are three glorious American traditions shared by nearly every family, which have truly transformed America into the land of hope. They are freedom of speech, the right to vote, and the rich relative. Now, to our friend Mrs. Anderson, the last of these has always seemed the most important, since in the Anderson household, the right to vote is exercised but once a year, and freedom of speech is limited strictly to Mrs. Anderson. So we can understand her excitement this morning as she bursts in on her spouse, clutching a letter in her hand. What's a passion flower? <laughs> Look, this letter. Remember my dear, rich, sweet, darling, loaded Aunt Punella with the two million dollars? Guess what? She passed away? No, she's feeling fine. Oh, my deepest sympathy. <laughs> Herbert, is that anything to say? You know I'm glad Aunt Punella's well. I hope she lives to be 90. How old is she now? 89? <laughs> no. Now listen. She writes she's going to be out this way. I haven't seen her in 25 years and she's never met you. You're going to wire her to come and live with us for as long as she likes. Live with us? But, Poopsie, you don't even like the woman. I've heard you say yourself that she's an old drip. Yes. But let's not forget what she's dripping with. <laughs> And this is our big chance to get into that will, but good. But, Poopsie, there isn't even any place for her to sleep. Unless you move Dennis out of his room and give her that. Are you crazy? I wouldn't give Dennis's room to a dog. <laughs> She's going to sleep in your room, and you're going to sleep in Dennis's room. <laughs> Our young hero, of course, is at this point blissfully unaware of his impending dispossession. We find him in his room looking at a newspaper as Mildred enters. Oh, hi, Mildred. Hi, Dennis. Going through the help wanted ads again? Oh, no. This is just a copy of my old high school paper. I saved it because my picture was on the front page. Oh, really? Let's see. Gosh, you look very handsome. Oh, sure. Cameras don't lie. <laughs> but all it says under the picture is... This is Dennis Day of the freshman class. Uh-huh. Well, gee, the fact that you were in the freshman class doesn't sound like front-page news. It is when you've been in it for five years. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and is your picture in all these other papers, too? Oh, no. I saved them because my sports articles are in them. I used to be a sports reporter for the paper. Honestly? Sure. I was really good, too. Listen to this. At two this afternoon, Hooperstown High and Jackson High clashed in the most vicious contest these old eyes have ever seen. It was man against man, heart versus heart, in a grim, bitter struggle which saw each player push himself beyond the limits of human endurance, regardless of consequences. I wrote that. Why, Dennis, that's wonderful. Well, it was a pretty exciting checker game. <laughs> oh. Well, my goodness, Dennis, if you can write like that, why don't you try and get a job on the Weaverville Bugle? You mean with a real newspaper? Well, why not? Someday you might even have a column of your own. Give me one good reason why you couldn't be a Fulton Lewis Jr. Because his mother saw Fulton Lewis Sr. first. 
so it's silly, Mildred. Do you think a newspaper would really hire me? All you need is confidence in yourself. Go into that editor's office and tell him you're the greatest newspaper man in the world. The star reporter of all time. By golly, maybe you're right. I've seen enough newspaper men in the movies. I'll act just like one. I'll take a couple of sips of cleaning fluid, dagger in, and hiccup right in his face. <laughs> And you say you'd like a job with my paper, young man. That's right, pal. Scoop Day is the name. Greatest reporter who ever lived. If it's stories you want, I'll dig them up for you. I see. So you're a leg man, eh? Uh, pardon? I said, so you're a leg man. Oh, no, sir. Even if I was, it wouldn't do me much good with the new look. <laughs> uh, you did say that, didn't you? What? Let it go. I couldn't possibly have heard right. <laughs> well, uh, tell me about your experience, Mr. Day. Have you ever been on a daily sheet? Oh, no. We change ours only once a week. <laughs> you know something, Mr. Day? You're beginning to fascinate me. Really? Yes. Now, a good reporter should be well up on the world situation today. What have you to say on the subject of, say, uh, Russia? Russia? Yes. Uh, tell me about Russia. It gets very cold there. <laughs> Just the stuff our readers want. Uh, anything else on Russia? Well, just that it's good there is a Russia because there are so many Russians that if there weren't a Russia, where would they all go? Well, they don't call you scoops for nothing, do they? <laughs> now, uh, what do you know about Japan? Well, Japan is different from Russia. Isn't it, though? Yeah, it's much warmer and has fewer Russians. How few people have ever noticed that. You're a sharp one, Scoop. Oh, I just keep my eyes and ears open. Yes, but I still get the feeling there must be a leak somewhere. <laughs> oh, forget it. This is fun. I was going to ask you a question about the Berlin situation, but I know just what you'd say. That he's written better songs than anyone else in the business. Well, he has, hasn't he? He has indeed. And now, suppose we turn to politics for a while, huh? Well, I really don't know much about politics as I do about the barn stuff. Oh, come now. No modesty, Scoo. No, really. Why don't you try me on sports? Oh, please, Mr. Day, I'm conducting this interview, and I feel you'd be much funnier on politics. <laughs> now, uh, tell me, what do you think President Truman's chances are of being re-elected this November? Oh, uh, go on. You know very well he's been re-elected already. Why, Scoops, you shocked me. You knew that, huh? Certainly, and I know who lost, too, do we? <laughs> this is very disappointing. And I know why it's just as well he did lose. Huh? But maybe this is something. <laughs> uh, why? Because now he can go back and finish capturing Manila. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. You've rallied. <laughs> when do I start work, huh? When? And uh, Mr. Day, I'm afraid I have a shock for you. You've given me the most enjoyable afternoon of my life, but I just can't see my way clear to putting you on the staff. 
Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. Uh, goodbye, Mr. Day. It's been awfully frightening to have met you. <laughs> Wait, please. There must be something I can do on the paper. Some assignment I can... Oh, excuse me just a second. I'll be right back. Yes, sir? You the editor here? I got a complaint. My name is Homer Applegate, and I sent in a letter to the Lovelorn column two weeks ago, and I ain't had no answer. Oh, yes. Uh, well, you see, our advice to the Lovelorn editor left us a few weeks ago to go to Reno for a divorce. And uh, we haven't been able to replace her yet. But I got a problem. I wrote in saying my initials are H.A., and I want to know what to do about my wife. How much longer do I have to go on living like a dog? Oh, now, I'm sure you're exaggerating, Mr. Applegate. Oh, I am, Humble. Take a look at this sandwich she made for my lunch. My goodness, a spoonful of strong heart between two puppy biscuits. Yeah, I, I want an answer to that letter. You understand? Well, we'll do our best, Mr. Applegate. But you see, we haven't been able to find anyone with a weird type of mind necessary to... Wait a minute. It's warmer and has fewer rushes. And Mr. Applegate, your answer will be in the paper tomorrow. You mean I won't have to live this kind of a life no more? It's a promise, and here's my paw on it. <laughs> and now excuse me, please. Yeah, okay, pal. Oh, you're still here. Yes, sir. Good. And my boy, I've interviewed you on foreign affairs and politics. Now I want to speak to you of love. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm already engaged. <laughs> No, but I think I have a job for you. How would you like to be head of your own department on my editorial staff? Boy, oh boy, with my own office? You bet. And on the door, it'll say in guilt letters, private, Miss Abigail Allen. Do you think I'm built right for a sign like that? <laughs> of course. You're going to be our advice to the Lovelorn editor. Oh, my gosh. Stay right here. I'll be back in a minute with a copy of what every young boy should know. <laughs> We'll continue this day in the life of Dennis Day in a moment or two. Meanwhile, here's Dennis to sing his RCA Victor recording of I'd Love to Live in Loveland. I'd love to live in Loveland With a girl like you And every day a holiday With signs of day
Well, our young hero is now Miss Abigail Allen in charge of the Lovelorn column on Weaverville's leading daily. But let's leave him for a moment and return to the Anderson house, from which a Western Union boy is now running madly away after delivering a telegram to Mrs. Anderson. You hear, Herbert? Aunt Cunella coming to see us. You hear, Herbert? Yippee! Woohoo! Okay, please calm yourself. Don't get so head up. Who's head up? After all, kissing the Western Union boy that way. I can't help it. She's my favorite aunt and just loaded with my favorite stuff. <laughs> uh, the wire didn't say when she'd arrive, though, did it? No, just soon. That could... Well, come on, we've got to get busy moving you into Dennis's room and Dennis into the cellar. All right, Cockle Shell. Incidentally, hmm? where's he been keeping himself? I've seen very little of him lately. Oh, I don't know. He has some mysterious job he won't tell anyone about. Just hints that he's making money by using his head. Really? Wonder if he made a deal for it with some medical school. <laughs> Gee, it was nice of you to ask me over to your office, Dennis. I think it's just beautiful. Oh, thanks, Mildred. Oh, I'm so proud of you. How do you like being Abigail Allen? Well, it's kind of confusing sometimes. I never know which room to use when I want to wash my hands. <laughs> oh, silly. But I may not have that problem much longer. The boss said he didn't like my first column yesterday and it would have to improve. That's really why I asked you to come over here. Oh? Well, maybe I can help. Uh, read me what you wrote yesterday that the boss didn't like. Okay. Here's the first letter I got. Dear Miss Abigail... A few years ago, I met a man who told me he was all alone in the world, and I said, so was I, so we got married. Then when he moved in, he presented me with seven kids by a previous marriage. It's not that I mind him lying, but we have very little room on account of the six kids I had. <laughs> now, my problem is, his seven kids and my six kids are always beating up our four kids. What'll I do? Sign lonely. Oh, my goodness. Well, what did you tell us? Oh, I'll read it to you. Dear Lonely... I suggest you have five more children immediately. According to my editing machine, you now have 17 kids. Five more will give you 22 or enough for two football teams, which will keep the kids occupied. This will leave you and your husband free to raise another team to play the winner. That's what you wrote? Seems like pretty solid advice, doesn't it? Read another one. Okay, listen. Dear Miss Abigail... My initials are H.A., and my wife is leading me a dog's life. For 24 years, she has browbeat me something terrible. I want to be a man and have some respect around the house. Please advise me. Signed, Bewildered. Oh, I hope... Kenneth, wait a minute. What were those initials again? H.A. And he says he's been married 24 years? Yeah. Kenneth, you don't think that... I mean, could that letter possibly be from Daddy? Your father? Well, his initials are H.A., and he's been married 24 years. Yeah, but this letter says his wife browbeats him, and his... Well, he says he wants to be a man, and your father's a... <laughs> Gee, now I know how they can hang a man on circumstantial evidence. Dennis, it's got to be, Daddy. How did you answer? Oh, I'll read it. Uh, Dear Bewildered, your wife's love has obviously cooled, and you must rekindle the flame by making her jealous. Hire some other woman to come into your home, on a strictly business basis, of course. And when your wife sees a strange woman sitting across the breakfast table from her every morning, she might get the idea that you have an outside interest. Oh, well, thank heavens you advise something so ridiculous. He'll never do anything like that. You don't think so? I'm worried. 
Well, don't be. He knows if he ever did such a thing, it wouldn't only make Mother jealous. She'd break up their home. Yeah, all over him. <laughs> That's funny. Nobody home. I wonder where the folks went, Danny. Gee, I don't know. Notice how clean the place looks, though? You, you don't suppose your father's expecting company, do you? I told you not to worry about that silly advice you gave. Come on, let's go out in the kitchen and pick some hot chocolate. Okay, I'll have some rice crisp with mine. Oh, you answer it, Dennis. I'll be in the kitchen. Okay. Uh, yes? Oh, hello. I'm Cunella Wilkins. Of course, you couldn't possibly be Herbert Anderson at your age. Oh, no, ma'am. I won't even be him at his age. <laughs> I'm Dennis Day. I live here. Oh, well, I'm sure we'll get along fine when I move in. When you... You're moving in? Why, certainly. Herbert Anderson wired and asked me to live here. Holy smoke, so he is a dope. I beg your pardon. I, uh, excuse me a minute. I'll be right back. Have a seat. Mildred, Mildred, my advice. She's out there. The woman. Your father sent for her. Oh, I tell you, there's no fool like an old fool when he listens to a young fool. <laughs> Dennis, are you serious? She's here, Mildred, ready to take up residence with two suitcases. Probably full of seductive black lace red flannels to wear to breakfast. Dennis, we've got to get rid of her before Mother gets back. It's our only chance. Tell her something, anything, to get her out of here. Okay, I'll try. Sorry to have kept you waiting, ma'am. Oh, that's all right. Well, I'm rather tired. Do you happen to know where I'll be staying here? Uh, no, it's kind of hard to tell. The last one he invited is under the rose bush. There's two under the garage floor, and a couple of them he just ran through the mixmaster. <laughs> What? What did you say? Oh, didn't you know about Mr. Anderson's hobby? Why, no. What hobby? Oh, he's sort of an amateur butcher. Not the kind that cuts up steers or chickens. He kind of specializes. Specializing? Yeah, only people. <laughs> May I take your coat, please? <laughs> Young man, are you crazy? You know what you're saying. Don't believe me, huh? Didn't you notice the front lawn as you came in? What about it? You don't think grass ever got that green from Vigoro, do you? <laughs> No, you you must be mad. Why, Clara wouldn't... She couldn't marry a man who... Who do you think helps him with his work? Clara Anderson? Better known in undertaking circles as Crocom Good Clara, the Cleaver Kid. No. Yep, she cuts them and he grades them. No, I know you're crazy. And if you think I'd stay in this house another instant with a madman... Well, sorry to see you go, lady, but if that's the way you... Dennis, why have you got all the lights burnt? Come near me, Clara Anderson. Now that I see you in a strong light, this boy could be telling the truth. What? Why, Aunt Prunella, you... You keep away from me, too, you... You croaker, you... Me? I'm in the furniture business. I won't stay in this house one single second. I might have known you'd turn out this way, Clara Anderson. Aunt Prunella, As a I... child, you used to pour ink into the goldfish bowl so the poor things couldn't see where they were swimming. <laughs> But I was the one. I'm getting out of here before I wind up a pot roast. Goodbye. You know, Mrs. Anderson, it's possible I made some sort of a slight mistake. You. I might have known. What did you do? Come on, tell me. What did you do? Gosh, I didn't know she was your aunt, Mrs. Anderson. I just wanted to save your marriage because I'm Abigail Allen, and I saw the letter Mr. Anderson wrote, and I thought Wait that you... Wait a second. Did you say the letter I wrote? Sure. Aren't you bewildered? 
That's putting it mildly. I don't know whether I... <laughs> well, I know what this one is doing. He's going. Now, wait, Mrs. Anderson. We can call her back and straighten the whole thing out. I told her there were bodies under the front lawn. Tomorrow she can dig up the lawn for herself, and naturally she won't find any bodies there. Oh, she won't. Huh? <laughs> All right, so one puny little body. <laughs> With George Dooning in the orchestra, here's Dennis to sing the lovely ballad, Until... Dennis Day Show, brought to you by Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth.
listen again next week to Colgate's Hour of Fun, Judy Canova, followed by Dennis Day. And for another great comedy program, hear Blondie next Wednesday evening over your favorite NBC station. This is Vern Smith speaking. Good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Stay tuned for Suspense Theater next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. One of the premier drama programs of the golden age of radio was subtitled Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills and focused on suspense thriller-type scripts, usually featuring leading Hollywood actors of the era. The suspense episode The Hitchhiker is well-known because the radio play was transformed into a television episode and it's since lived on in its reruns. In this story, a supernatural hitchhiker follows the main character on a trip across the country. Orson Welles, for whom the role was written, first performed The Hitchhiker on the CBS Network's Mercury Theater of the Air in 1941 and then again on Suspense in 1942. In fact... You will shortly hear him introduce the play. The uh, radio play was written by Lucille Fletcher, who also wrote Suspense's most famous episode, Sorry, Wrong Number. Now we proudly present on Theater of the Mind, Suspense and the Hitchhiker. The Columbia Network takes pleasure in bringing you Suspense. parade of outstanding thrillers, produced and directed by William Spear and scored by Bernard Herrmann. The notable melodramas from stage and screen, fiction and radio, presented each week to bring you to the edge of your chair, to keep you in suspense. Good evening. This is Orson Welles. And very happy I am to be back in the United States and back on the Columbia Network, even for so short a visit as this one. Back with old friends like Johnny Dietz, who's tonight's director, and Bernard Herman. The Mercury Theater presented tonight's radio play for the first time last year. They came right out then and hailed it as a classic of the medium. Nobody argued the point. A lot of people asked us to do it again, so it's gratifying to get the chance now and to find a favorite of ours in this distinguished anthology of spook shows. Personally, I've never met anybody who didn't like a good ghost story. But I know a lot of people who think there are a lot of people who don't like a good ghost story. For the benefit of these, at least, I go on record at the outset of this evening's entertainment with a sober assurance that although blood may be curdled on this program, none will be spilt. There's no shooting, knifing, throttling, axing, or poisoning here. No clanking chains, no cobwebs, no bony and or hairy hands appearing from secret panels or, better yet, bedroom curtains. If it's any part of that dear old phosphorescent foolishness that people who don't like ghost stories don't like, then again, I promise you, we haven't got it. Not tonight. What we do have is a thriller. It's half as good as we think it is. You can call it a shocker. It's already been called a real Orson Welles story. Now, frankly, I don't know what this means. 
I've been on the air directing and acting in my own shows for quite a while now, and I don't suppose I've done more than half a dozen thrillers in all that time. Honestly, I don't think even that many, but it seems I do have a reputation for the uncanny. Quite possibly. A little escapade of mine involving a couple of planets, which shall be nameless, is responsible. Doesn't really matter. Don't think I disapprove of thrillers. I don't. A story doesn't have to appeal to the heart. It can also appeal to the spine. Sometimes you want your heart to be warmed, and sometimes you want your spine to tingle. The tingling, it's to be hoped, will be quite audible as you listen tonight to The Hitchhiker. That's the name of our story, The Hitchhiker. I'm in an auto camp on Route 66, just west of Gallup, New Mexico. If I tell her, perhaps it'll help me. Keep me from going, going crazy. I've got to tell this quickly. I'm not crazy now. I feel perfectly well, except that I'm running a slight temperature. My name is Ronald Adams. I'm 36 years of age. Unmarried, tall, dark, with a black mustache. I drive a 1940 Buick license number 6Y175189. I was born in Brooklyn. All this I know. I know that I'm at this moment perfectly sane. That it's not me who's gone mad. It's something else. Something utterly beyond my control. I've got to speak quickly. At any minute, the link may break. This may be the last thing I ever tell on Earth. The last night I ever see the stars. 6 days ago I left Brooklyn to drive to California. Goodbye, son. Good luck to you, my boy. Goodbye, mother. Here, give me a kiss. And I'll go. I'll come out with you to the car. Oh no, it's raining. Stay at the door. <laughs> What's this? Tears? I thought you'd promise me you wouldn't cry. Oh, I know, dear. I, I'm sorry. But I I do hate to see you. I'll be back. It'll always be the, on the course three months. Oh, it isn't that. It's, it's just the trip. Ronald, I wish you weren't driving. Oh, Mother, there you go again. People do it every day. I know, but you'll be careful, won't you? Promise me you'll be extra careful. Don't fall asleep or drive fast or pick up any strangers on the road. Oh, gosh. I think I was still 17 here, you two. Oh, and why? I mean, as soon as you get to Hollywood, won't you, son? Of course I will. Don't you worry. There's nothing going to happen. It's just eight days of perfectly simple driving on smooth, decent, civilized roads with a hot dog or a hamburger stand every ten miles. I was in fine spirits. Drive ahead of me, even the loneliness seemed like a lark. I reckoned without him. Crossing Brooklyn Bridge that morning in the rain, I saw a man leaning against the cables. He seemed to be waiting for a lift. There were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. He was carrying a cheap overnight bag in one hand. He was thin, nondescript, with a cap pulled down over his eyes. I would have forgotten him completely, except that just an hour later, while crossing the Pulaski Skyway over the Jersey Flats, 
I saw him again. At least, he looked like the same person. He was standing now with one thumb pointing west. I couldn't figure out how he got there, but I thought probably one of those fast trucks had picked him up, beat me to the skyway and let him off. I didn't stop for him. Then late that night, I saw him again. It's on the new Pennsylvania turnpike between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. It's 265 miles long with a very high speed limit. I was just slowing down for one of the tunnels when I saw him. Standing under an arc light by the side of the road. I seen quite distinctly the bag, the cap, even the spots of fresh rain. over his shoulders. He hallowed at me this time. Stepped on the gas like a shot. It's lonely country to the Alleghenies, and I had no intention of stopping. Besides the coincidences or whatever it was, maybe the willies. Stopped at the next gas station. Yes, sir. Uh, fill her up. Certainly, sir. Check your oil, sir? No, thanks. Nice night, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> it hasn't been raining here recently, has it? Not a drop of rain all week. Oh? Oh, I, I suppose that doesn't done your business any harm. Oh, people drive through here all kinds of weather. Mostly business, you know. There aren't many pleasure cars out on the turnpike this season of the year. I suppose not. What, uh, uh, what about hitchhikers? Hitchhikers here? What's the matter? Don't you ever see any? Not much. If we did, it'd be a sight for sore eyes. Why? Oh, a guy'd be a fool who started out to hitch rides on this road. Look at it. Then, you've never seen anybody? No. Maybe they get the lift before the turnpike starts. I mean, you know, just before the toll house. But then it'd be a mighty long ride. Most cars wouldn't want to pick up a guy for that long a ride. And you know, this is pretty lonesome country here. Mountains and woods. You ain't seen anybody like that, have you? Uh, no. Oh, no, not, not at all. I was just uh, a technical question. I <laughs> see. Well, that'll be just $1.49 with the tax. Then gradually passed through my mind a sheer coincidence. I had a good night's sleep in Pittsburgh. I didn't think about the man all next day until... But just outside of Zanesville, Ohio, I saw him again. It's a bright, sunshiny afternoon. The peaceful Ohio fields, brown with the autumn stubble, lay dreaming in the golden light. I was driving slowly, drinking it in, when the road suddenly ended in a detour. In front of the barrier, he was standing. Now let me explain about his appearance before I go on. I repeat, there was nothing sinister about him. He was as drab as a mud fence. Or was his attitude menacing? He merely stood there, waiting, almost drooping a little, the cheap overnight bag in his hand. He looked as though he'd been waiting there for hours. And he looked up. He hailed me. He started to walk forward. Hello? 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 No, not just now. Sorry. 
Go to California? No, not today. The other way, going to New York. Sorry. Picking him up, of having him sit beside me was somehow unbearable. At the same time, I felt more than ever unspeakably alone. Hour after hour went by. Fields, the towns ticked off one by one. The light changed. I knew now that I was going to see him again. And though I dreaded the sight, I caught myself searching the side of the road, waiting for him to appear. Sandwiches and pop here, don't you? Yeah, we go in the daytime. We're closed up now for the I night. know, but I was wondering if you could possibly have a cup of coffee, black coffee. Just No, not this time of night, mister. My wife's a cook. She's in bed. Uh, don't shut the door, please. Listen, just a minute ago. Uh, <laughs> just a minute ago, there was a man standing here right beside the stand, a suspicious-looking man. I, I don't mean to disturb it. And you see, I was driving along when I just happened to look, and there he was. How was he doing? Well, nothing. You've been taking a nip. That's what you've been doing. Now, out of your way before I call out Sheriff Oates. I got into the car again and drove on slowly. It's getting to hate the car. If I could have found a place to stop, to rest a little. I was in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri now. A few resort places that were closed, only an occasional log cabin, seemingly deserted. That's all that broke the monotony of the wild, wooded landscape. And I had seen him at that roadside stand. I knew I'd see him again. Maybe at the next turn of the road. I knew that when I saw him next, I would run him down. next afternoon. It stopped a car at a sleepy little junction just across the border into Oklahoma to let a train pass by. When he appeared across the tracks, leaning against a telephone pole. Perfectly airless, dry day. The red clay of Oklahoma was baking under the southwestern sun. Yet there were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. I couldn't stand that. Without thinking, blindly, I started the car across the tracks. He didn't look up at me. He was staring at the ground. I stepped on the gas car, bearing the wheel sharply toward him. I could hear the train in the distance now, but I didn't care. Then. Something went wrong with the car. The train was coming closer. I could hear its bell ringing and the cry of its whistle. Still, he stood there. And now I knew that he was beckoning, beckoning me to my death. Oh, 
frustrated and left. The starter worked at last. I managed to back up. And the train passed. He was gone. I was all alone in the hot, dry afternoon. After that, I knew I had to do something. I didn't know who this man was or what he wanted of me. I only knew that from now on, I mustn't let myself alone on the road for one minute. Uh, hello there. Like a ride? Well, what do you think? How far are you going? Uh, where do you want to go? Amarillo, Texas. I'll drive you there. Gee. Uh, you mind if I take off my shoes? My dogs are killing me. Go right ahead. Oh, gee, what a break. Have you hitchhiked much? Sure, only it's tough sometimes in these great open spaces to get the break. Uh, I should think it would be, though. I'll bet you get a good pickup in a fast car. If you did, you could get places faster than, say, another person in another car, couldn't you? I don't get you. Well, take me, for instance. Suppose I'm I'm driving across the country, say, at a nice steady clip about 45 miles an hour. Uh, couldn't couldn't a girl like you just standing beside the road waiting for Liz beat me to town? Or any town, provided she got picked up every time in a car doing from 65 to 70 miles an hour? I don't know. What difference does it make? Oh, no difference. It's just a crazy idea I had sitting here in the car. Oh, imagine spending your time in a swell car thinking of things like that. What would you do instead? What would I do? If I was a good-looking fellow like yourself, why, I just enjoy myself every minute of the time. I'd sit back and, and relax. But if I saw a good-looking girl along the side of the road... Oh, look out! Did you see her? See who? A man standing beside the barbed wire fence. Oh, I didn't see anybody. I... It wasn't nothing but a bunch of cows and and the wire fence. No? What do you think you was doing? Trying to run into the barbed wire fence? There a man fence? there, I tell you. A thin gray man with an overnight bag in his hand. And I, I was trying to run him down. Run him down? Kill him? You say you didn't see him back there? You sure? I didn't see a soul. <laughs> as far watch as I can for him the next time and keep watching your eyes peeled on the road. He'll turn up again. Maybe any minute. There! Look there! How does this door work? I, I'm getting out Did of here. Did you see him that time? No, I didn't see him that time. And personally, mister, I don't expect never to see him. All I want to do is go on living. I don't see how I will very long, driving with you. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't... I... I don't know what came over me, but please don't go. So if you'll excuse me... You can't go. Listen, how would you like to go to California? I'll drive you to California. Seeing pink elephants all the way? No, thanks. Uh-uh, thanks just the same. Listen, please, just just one minute, please. You know what I think you need, big boy? Not a girlfriend. Just a good dose of sleep. Please. There, I got it now. Now, you can't go. Please, come Your hands off me. Do you hear me? Your hands off She ran from me. Though I were a monster. A few minutes later, I saw a passing truck pick her up. I knew then that I was utterly alone. It was in the heart of the great Texas prairies. There wasn't a car on the road after the truck went by. I tried to figure out what to do, how to get hold of myself. 
If I could find a place to rest, or even if I could sleep right here in the car for a few hours along the side of the road. I was getting my winter overcoat out of the back seat to use as a blanket when I saw him coming toward me, emerging from the herd of moving steer. Hello? I should have spoken to him then. Thought it out then and there. For now, he began to be everywhere. Whenever I stopped, even for a moment, for gas, for oil, for a drink of pop, a cup of coffee, sandwich, he was there. I saw him standing outside the auto camp in Amarillo that night when I dared to slow down. He was sitting near the drinking fountain, a little camping spot just inside the border of New Mexico. He was waiting for me outside the Navajo Reservation where I stopped to check my tires. I saw him in Albuquerque when I bought 20 gallons of gas. I was... I was afraid to stop him. I began to drive faster and faster. I was... in... in lunar landscape now. The great arid Mesa country of New Mexico. I drove through it with the indifference of a fly crawling over the face of the moon. Now he didn't even wait for me to stop. Unless I drove at 85 miles an hour over those endless roads, he waited for me at every other mile. I'd see his figure, shadowless, flitting before me, still in the same attitude, over the cold, lifeless ground, flitting over dried-up rivers, over broken stones cast up by old glacial upheavals, flitting in that pure and cloudless air. I was beside myself when I finally reached Gallup, New Mexico this morning. There's an auto camp here. Cold, almost deserted this time of year. I went inside and asked if there was a telephone. I had the feeling that if only I could speak to someone familiar, someone I loved, I could pull myself together. Your call, please. Long distance. Long distance, certainly. This is long distance. I'd like, uh, <laughs> I'd like to put a, in a call to my home in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Ronald Adams. I'm, uh, the, the number is Beechwood 200828. Certainly. I will try to get it for you. Albuquerque. New York for Gallup. New York. Gallup, New Mexico, calling Beechwood 200828. I read somewhere that love could banish demons. the middle of the morning. I knew Mother would be home. I pictured her tall and white-haired in her crisp house dress, going about her tasks. Be enough, I thought, just to hear the even calmness of her voice. Will you please deposit $3.85 for the first three minutes? When you have deposited a dollar and a half, will you wait until I have collected the money?
All right, deposit another dollar and a half. Will you please deposit the remaining 85 cents? Ready with Brooklyn. Go ahead, please. Hello? hello? Mrs. Adams' residence. Hello, hello, Mother. This is Mrs. Adams' residence. Who is it you wish to speak to, please? What? Who is this? This is Mrs. Winnie. Mrs. Winnie? I I don't know any Mrs. Winnie. Is this Beechwood 208828? Yes. Where's my mother? Where's Mrs. Adams? Mrs. Adams is not at home. She's still in the hospital. The hospital? Yes. Who is this calling, please? Is it a member of the family? What's she in the hospital for? She's been prostrated for five days. Nervous breakdown. But who is this Nervous breakdown? Well, my grandmother never was nervous. It's all taken place since the death of her oldest son, Ronald. Death of her... Death of her oldest son, Ronald? Hey, what's this? What number is this? This is Beechwood 20828. It's all been very sudden. He was killed just six days ago in an automobile accident on the Brooklyn Bridge. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. And so... So I'm sitting here in this deserted auto camp in Gallup, New Mexico. I'm trying to think. Trying to get hold of myself. Otherwise, I am going to go crazy. Outside, it's night. The vast, soulless night of New Mexico. A million stars are in the sky. Ahead of me stretch a thousand miles of empty mesa. Mountains. Prairies. Desert. Somewhere among them, he's waiting for me. Somewhere I shall know who he is and who I am. So ends the hitchhiker. And to Orson Welles, our considerable thanks for his playing of the title role. Mr. Welles. Help wanted. Men, women, and children. Nature of work, hard, monotonous, back-breaking labor. Hours, 75 a week minimum. Pay, few cents an hour. Added inducement. Two meals a day, including several ounces of bad bread and a cup of thin soup. Don't delay. Apply at once. How would you respond to a want ad like that, Mr. and Mrs. American working man and woman? You'd laugh, wouldn't you, and throw the paper in the trash basket. Dismiss the whole advertisement as some kind of a joke. But believe me, it's no joke. 
It's a simple statement of the working conditions that exist today in Nazi Germany and the conquered countries under Nazi rule. It's also an exact statement of the working conditions that will be imposed on you and every member of your family if the Nazis win this war. You yourself personally can stop them from winning, as you know. You don't have to give up your well-paid job to do it. You needn't have to be a soldier or a sailor or an airman or a nurse or a war worker to ensure American victory. Uncle Sam doesn't ask plain, ordinary, hard-working citizens like you to give him anything. All he asks, all this he does ask very seriously and very urgently, is that you loan him ten cents out of every dollar you make. That's all there is to it. Lend Uncle Sam a dime to win this war. And he'll pay you back with interest when he's won it. The easiest, most convenient way to lend him these dimes is to enroll in the payroll savings plan. Just tell your boss to deduct 10 cents from every dollar he pays you and lend it to Uncle Sam in your name. Sign up for this simple savings plan today and when victory comes, you will have war bonds in your pockets instead of Axis bonds on your wrists. Suspense will be heard again two weeks from tonight. Next Wednesday night, September 9th, the Columbia Broadcasting System will present over many of these stations at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Wartime an address by W. Averill Harriman, United States Land Lease Administrator in London. Mr. Harriman, as the personal representative of the President of the United States, attended the Moscow conferences between Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin. Next Wednesday's broadcast will be Mr. Harriman's first public address since his return to this country. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear. John Dietz was our guest director this evening. Tonight's radio drama was written by Lucille Fletcher. The original score was by Bernard Herrmann. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thanks for listening tonight, and in fact, all this week. Hope you'll be with me come Monday evening for more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.